Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today I want to share with you something quite remarkable that has happened, which um, two remarkable things. One is that um, I got to meet Dr. Norman Geisler, um, not in the flesh, but uh, virtually, and um, had a phone call with him. Uh, for about 40 minutes, and unfortunately he didn't give me permission to um, to record it and podcast it, but I want to talk about that phone call. And uh, the second thing is that I'm, I think I'm converting to Thomism to, uh, well, well, maybe I should hold off on that. This isn't an announcement, um, but Thomism is seeming a lot more interesting to me uh, than it did previously. At least this aspect of Thomism, Thomism is a very large system, but this idea that God is immutable and impassable, which means he does not change and his emotions do not change, that God is perfectly changeless and, um, well, actually, another thing that goes with that is simplicity, that God is simple in his, his being and his nature. And so I guess before I, I jump too far into it, maybe I should just let you know um, how I got to meet uh, Dr. Geisler. I'm taking a class from Southern Evangelical Seminary. I've t- mentioned this before, that I take classes as I have time and can afford them. And uh, so this has been a real blessing to take um, a class on the problem of evil from somebody who um, has kind of written the major textbooks on this subject in apologetics over the last 40 or 50 years. He's really been um, probably the biggest name in apologetics, uh, maybe rivaling William Lane Craig, Ravi Zacharias. But as far as the guy that's writing the textbooks, um, it's probably more Norman Geisler uh, that's that's been doing that. And uh, he's been a really great teacher. Uh, he's in his 70s, I believe. Um but he's just really clear. Uh, he doesn't unnecessarily use big words. Uh, often students will ask him, well, where do you stand on superlapsarianism or sub-superlapsarianism or whatever? And he says, just, you know, I don't get into definitions of words. Just follow the logic of my argument and that's where I stand. And people will be like, well, where do you stand on this complex theological issue? And he says, well... Here's the logic of my arguments, and this is where I stand. And so he, he had, he's had, he has this way of avoiding some of the big controversies by simply just avoiding some of the overly complex terminology. And I appreciate that as much as it's his thoughts are very complex in some ways. They're they're not more complex than they need to be, uh, and I, I've really appreciated that. And he's been really accessible as far as answering questions from students and um, and answering my phone call. Um, I asked him after class if I could if I could call him and ask him more because he, in one of his classes on the problem of evil, he ta- talked for a while about the immutability and impassibility of God. And he told me, he said that when you grasp this, um, your prayer life is absolutely going to change. And the, the way that he explained it actually made sense for the first time. I've heard of this concept before that God does not change and that God is perfectly simple and, and that his emotions do not change. But to me, it just seemed like nonsense. It seemed like like um, too platonic or, or too Greek and you know not 
not like the the Jewish God of the Bible. That's kind of how I just hand-wavingly dismissed it. Um, but when he explained it, it made sense. And um, it's been about a day and a half since he, since I kind of like, oh, it could work. And I've kind of been sitting there and thinking it through. And um, it really has changed the way I think about God and the way that I pray. Uh, and it was really made it a lot richer and hopefully i'll get to that in this podcast um and the other thing that it has done for me is it has made me think this crazy thought has entered my mind like maybe i could actually be a theologian um because and you might you might say well what do you, what do you mean a theologian of course like you're already a theologian you have a podcast you have a blog you are a bible school teacher sometimes and you know campus pasture and yeah but at the center of my theological system is a big fat ugly question mark because my journey towards theological understanding really came when I left the Baptist church went to a Mennonite church as I talk about in in some of the first episodes in this podcast talk about Calvinism and Arminianism and middle knowledge and um, some of those first questions have never been resolved and you can trace that through my podcasts uh, if you go to well the first five on Calvinism and then if you jump to the egg explaining the Trinity uh, using an egg <clears throat> and then God personhood and God time and personality and then if you jump to the podcast the will to work I mean if you have the time to do all that I mean it's just if you're interested you can kind of see my progression on that. There, there hasn't been a lot of progression. It's just been kind of orbiting around the same issues and being like, yeah, those people over there think this. Those people over there think that. I don't know what I believe. I kind of hang out around middle knowledge folks. I also hang out around Calvinists. Um, but I also hang out around Arminians because I think they're all about equally wrong. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know how to resolve this. Um, somehow we have free will and somehow God is sovereign. Um, and I don't know how to get to the bottom of this. So I don't, so everybody's equally wrong and we should all get along. It's kind of where I come from. Um, but immutability makes sense. And so for the first time, I'm like, oh, if I could get this issue nailed down, then suddenly you know, that starts to fix this issue and that fixes that issue and that fixes that issue. And all these question marks, these these places where I've just said, well, it's a mystery, it's a mystery. All these things are kind of clicking into place in my mind and I'm like, wow, like maybe maybe theology isn't as, as um, impossible as I had been thinking it was. And so um, I'm not sure how this is going to work out or how far, maybe this is all going to be a bust and all. Tomorrow I'll be like, yeah, never mind, I'm going back to middle knowledge. Um, I don't know, but uh, I think it's kind of fun to podcast while the ideas are fresh. And I have this, you know, I just had this conversation with the great Dr. Norman Geisler. So I thought I'd podcast out some of the, the things we discussed in that phone call and kind of where I'm drifting at this point as I continue to try and have a mature and stable Christian worldview. So um, I can understand, and I think I believed this before, that God was unchanging in his character, 
Um, so yeah, James 1, uh, 17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or, sh- or shifting shadow. So in some sense, God is unchanging. And the way I saw that before is God is unchanging in his nature, meaning, you know, he's all good, he's all perfect, he's all loving, he's all just, uh, he's all, he knows everything, he's all powerful, uh, his attributes don't change. But that his, his personhood changes. What I mean by that is, um, well, with reference to a human being, right? Let's think analog- analogously to a human being that um, you, you might, th- let's think of the most moral, ethical person that you know, okay? So this hypothetical person that's extremely good. So this super good person, uh, their character doesn't change or it doesn't change very much. They're always good. They're always loving. They're always just in their dealings with with people. Um, The places and situations might change, but their character doesn't. Their character is going to stay the same. But every day they wake up and they are an I. They have thoughts. They're able to say, I am going to do this because they exist in a place in space, matter, and time. And and they they are self-conscious. They are conscious of themselves. And they have the ability to decide to do things. And that's what we call you know, sentient life. They are alive and they're able to do things in the world. So that changes because you know, one day they have coffee in the morning and the next day you know, they, they get interrupted and they forget to have their coffee, whatever. They, they have free will. And so God, as I understood it, is unchanging in his attributes, but... He is a personal God that exists, that that has that makes decisions, that has a past, that has a future, that um, and that is self-conscious of himself. And the problem with this, and and where I just put question marks around it, is um, is God in time or outside of time? Because if he's in time, then he can't be eternal. Because you can't have an, a past eternal state. Uh, Eternity can't just go on forever. There's all sorts of philosophical problems with that. And it seems like there's a lot of verses that say that God is eternal. So in some sense, God should be outside of time seems to be the best way to see it. But if God is outside of time, then he can't have a past and a future. And if he can't have a past and a future, then how can he be a self-conscious person that makes decisions? Because and even thinks thoughts. How how can you? I wrestled with this in the podcast. God, uh, God, time and personality. That if God is thinking things, he's rationalizing, thinking things through. Well, you know, roses are red. This flower is a rose, or this this flower is red. Therefore, this is a rose. Even just a simple discourse of logic thought like that. Um. If he's thinking that way, that only makes sense within time. And so it seems as though, how how can God exist in, like, he doesn't fit in time because he's eternal. He doesn't exist, he doesn't fit outside of time because then it seems like he's not personal. And so immutability is the belief that God does not change in his nature. His nature certainly doesn't change, but also in his will and his covenant promises, he does not change. So the 
covenant promises we get, but will specifically does not change. That he, when he wills something, it's not like he decides his will changes. He's willed something from eternity past. He wills it now, then, future, all the time. His will is is eternal. It's not changing. Um, he doesn't decide to do something and then do it. Uh, he doesn't decide to create the world and then enter into the world, as William Lane Craig believes. Uh, he, um, what he wills, he always wills. So this is hard to wrap your mind around. This is hard for me to wrap my mind around. This is why I kind of dismissed it for many years as um, being irrational, because when you just open up the Bible and read it, it really seems as though um, God is, really seems like God is, is changing. God is thinking. God is regretting things that he did. You know, I, I regret that um, before the flood, he said that I regret that I made human beings. Um, he has discussions with people like Abraham and Moses and um, says he's going to judge and Abraham and Moses both negotiate with God and God either reduces uh, the sentence or um, or averts it completely. Uh, it seems as, and he, you know, there's fire on the mountain, he speaks with Moses, there's, it seems as though he's a self-conscious agent that moves in time that that um, that interacts, you know. There, there's this back and forth. This, this, um, in the same way that you would talk with with your spouse or with somebody in the street. It seems as though God is in in the story in that way. So the way that Norman Geisler answered that is that's just that's anthropomorphism, anthropomorphism, which means that's God making Himself appear like a human being for our benefit. So God, you know, he exists timelessly. He exists unchangeably. Uh, and unchangeably, outside of eternity, um, for all eternity, he has willed that he's going to interact with humanity in such and such a way. And he knows what Moses is going to say to him. And he knows what he's going to reply to Moses. And so that's how it plays out, is that it seems as though they have that dialogue and they do have a genuine dialogue, um, but it's it's Moses who is moving in relation to God, not God that is moving because God is is changeless. Um, and so, in some way, it's it's like uh, an appearance of change. Uh, it's an anthropomorphism uh, for our benefit. And so, the question I ask here of Dr. Gasser is, what about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, how did he? Um, how did he, How does the incarnation work? And he said, "Well, Jesus had a divine nature and a human nature. So every every question that you ask about Jesus, you need to ask: Are we talking about his divine nature or his human nature? Uh, was Jesus hungry? Well, in his divine nature, no. In his human nature, yes. Was Jesus?" Um, uh, was Jesus tempted? Well, in his divine nature, no. In his human nature, yes. Uh, and we could go on and on. And, and did Jesus change? Well, in his divine nature, no. But in his human nature, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Um, and and um, 
And then it, that leads into, did, did Jesus' emotions change? Well, in his divine nature, no. He's always had the same emotions from eternity past. Um, but in his human nature, yes, they did change. So immutability uh, bleeds over into impassibility, which is the idea that God, um, God's emotions do not change, that he always feels the same way. Um, and he, um, he always feels all of his emotions at the same time. Uh, and so we need to remember that God is not one of us. He's not a human. He's not a mortal like you or I. Um, God is is God. He is He is a spiritual being that is beyond our comprehension. And this is actually where the lights turned on for me. Um, talking about God not changing but interacting with Abraham, that's a little bit strange to me. Um, Norman Geisler said, um, when he talked about his emotions, it made sense because in previously, uh, what I had understood was when people said God is impassable uh, and talked about the impassibility of God, what I thought that meant was that God has no emotions and that God is like Spock from Star Trek or that God is like a robot and he has no emotions. And to me, it's like, well, just read the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus, uh, well, Jesus certainly had emotions, but but God in the Old Testament clearly had emotions. And um you know, James 4, 5 says that God is a jealous God. So he has emotions, clearly. Uh, but there again, if you have emotions, then you, you, this seems to be a time-bound thing. So how does this work exactly? That, that pulls us back to that previous question we talked about. Norma Geisler said, God's emotions do not change, but we change in relationship to God. It's, he said it's like petting a cat. So if you could imagine God's hand is petting in this direction and the cat might be really happy with that but then the cat turns around and now all of a sudden the hand is pushing the hair up and and the cat's not happy with that so the hand hasn't changed what it's doing what's changed is the cat has changed um, in the same way God is always angry towards sin God is always uh, pleased with with good action and um, good conduct. He's always merciful uh, to those who are repentant. He's always, um, he, he always shows himself to be severe towards those that are cruel. And what changes is we change in relationship to God. And as we repent, then, then God is merciful towards us, so that God's mercy shines on us. Um, as we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, we change in our orientation and we, we turn to face the light of God. It's not as though God, it's not as though we need to convince God to be merciful to us. He's already, his mercy is already there. It's just for us to turn ourselves towards that. Um, it's, if I can venture a few more illustrations here. Um, it's like uh, years ago I got into a motorcycle accident and it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't too bad uh, as far as motorcycle accidents go. Um, but there were a few, a few milliseconds where I went cartwheeling through the air and um, kind of did a spin on my, my elbows and knees and scraped myself up pretty good. And for a few milliseconds it felt like the ground was, was jumping up and smacking me 
in the face um, and I had this sensation of of the world attacking me almost that that I was being hit by the world but of course the world wasn't hitting me I was hitting the world it was my perspective that was wrong um, and maybe you could think of something like uh, like floating in the waves of uh, a coral reef <clears throat> and somebody might say look out for that coral reef because coral apparently is quite sharp and as you're you're being pushed back and forth by the waves perhaps in shallow water you might try and avoid the coral but the coral's not moving you're moving and um this is something that you know norman guys i said this is going to change your prayer life and it has just in the last day because um it's it's hard to not well we're told to think about god as our father and, and so i think that's that's the correct thing to do it's hard not to think of of our father as being up there you know kind of quietly displeased with us or maybe we haven't maybe maybe we're annoying him or um you know just all this sort of human stuff uh that comes with with another human being and um it's easy to it's really easy to get mad at god and say god why'd you do this why'd you do that and this thinking about god in this way it's like you know, I'm the moon and God is the sun. And if I'm in darkness, it's because I need to turn. You know, that I'm, I'm, my back is towards God and I'm facing out into space and yelling. And I need to turn my heart back to the light and, I, and, and back to, you know, through forgiveness, reaching towards God. God, this is what's going on in my heart. I need to forgive help me forgive and as i do that i'm, I'm turning towards god um and as i you know repent of sin you know psalm 51 against you you only i have sinned done what is evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge and just that repentance and i'm turning myself towards god it's not again that i it's not that i need to convince god to turn his face towards me it's that i need to turn my heart towards him and of course that this is not this is not something that i do only of myself or even primarily by myself because you know jesus has died for me um and you know god knew that that jesus was going to become incarnate and die for me from all of eternity past uh this has been decided and um we're going to get into this in, in into election in a second here, but it's also God's spirit and, and regeneration working in me. I don't want to give the illusion that it's only myself that that turns myself towards God. Um, but this has been a really helpful way to think about it, is thinking about God is over there. He doesn't change. What changes is me and my orientation. And through prayer, I need to turn myself towards him. So... It still feels very counterintuitive to read the Old Testament um, and see a God that doesn't change because it seems like God really changes a lot and interacts with his people. And so um, I'm going to take this and ponder it. And uh, it seems like it works. You can, you can explain a lot just by saying, well, that's God. Um, it's an anthropomorphism or that's God making it. He's communicating to his people in a way that they understand him. 
make sense. I mean, I don't know how else he would do it. I don't know what. Yeah, um, it, that seems to work. It's 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 very counterintuitive, but uh, it does seem to work. Um, I, another question I had for him was, why does God sometimes say that He changes His mind? I said, look, it's God decided from all eternity past what he was going to do, knowing what people would ask him, knowing what the situation was going to be. Um, and so he didn't change his mind. It was people changed in their orientation towards him. And so he said, it's like if you think of a dot at the middle of a circle and there's many radii that come off of that dot and we could call them radii one, two, three, and they come off of this dot at the same time but they they intersect with perhaps a line at different times in history, even though they came at the same they 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 left the dot at the same time. They might interact with a line at different times in history, and so God knew what He was going to do from eternity past or outside of time. Um, so, and I asked him, well, then how do we avoid falling into fatalism as, as hyper-Calvinism seems to do to just say, well, God, God decided everything. Um, God knows everything. Everything is, God controls everything. There's not, nothing I do is meaningful. They said, because um, reality is, I think he said, used the word reality um, or the universe. I think reality, reality is closed from God's perspective. But it's open from ours. Reality is closed from God's perspective, but it's open from ours. And so, as far as we know, our actions change. And they change the world, they change the future, they change um, our reality because it's open from our perspective. I really liked it when he said that because it's like, that's exactly, that's, that's what I've been trying to say. That's what I've been trying to maintain because half of scriptures seem to say that. Well, I mean, not exactly half, but... So a lot of verses that really seem to say that your actions matter, that um, you need to you need to share your faith because people are going to hell, you need to um, live a virtuous life because you could go to hell, um, you know, as opposed to rejecting God and and rejecting His gift of salvation. Um, but then the other half of scriptures really seem to say that God is completely in control. He elects. He he regenerates, he does all the work. So um, I really liked how he said reality is open from our perspective, but it's closed from God's perspective. And we don't have any reason to drop into fatalism because it's open for us. It's, you know, the future is, is ours to write um, along with God's help. So how does this work that God knows... Um, you know, I, I, the questions in class as well were kind of like, where, where do you stand? Where, where are you with this Calvinism thing? And uh, he said something like, God um, freely, uh, freely knows and knowingly elects. Uh, getting it wrong here. Um, um, yeah, I just pulled up my notes here. So I asked him, which is logically prior, free will or election? Uh, and then he he went into talking about time and I said no I'm not talking about time but which is logically prior which one comes first which one causes the other does God's election cause us to freely choose him or does our free will cause God to choose us 
which one of these things starts the ball rolling? Which one of them is first? And he said, look, God's election is not based on our free will, but according to his knowledge. And he said, God knowingly chose and choosingly knew. God knowingly chose and choosingly knew that there's a concurrence with how God chooses and how we we act. It just it happens at the same time. It happens without time being in the equation. Um, that God knows all things and he knows all things perfectly. And he said the problem with middle knowledge is that it it says that there's something in between where um, there's a step that has to happen before God can know something. And for Geisler and for Thomas Aquinas, God just knows everything all the time. There's nothing that God does not know. And God knows everything perfectly and simply. And that's what I was struggling with before. I mean, it, this is an oversimplification, but I, I, I would understand middle knowledge as being something like um, Pharaoh will sin, Pharaoh will reject God in any possible world. Um, therefore, I will put him in this world. Therefore, you know, he, he's going to reject me. Something like that. Whereas for Geisler, there would be no therefore, 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 point one, point two, therefore. It just, it happens. God just knows it immediately, instantly, perfectly. And this again, as much as it's counterintuitive and it's difficult to understand this and um, difficult to workshop this out, um, this makes sense of a God outside of time, that he just knows all things perfectly. And um, and so I think sometimes I've heard the word intuitive uh, applied to this. If you can think about, somebody asks you a question, they, and you don't have to think about the answer, you just know the answer. You know it instantly without thinking. Uh, like if somebody asked you, where's your left hand? Like you would just you know where it is you don't if somebody asked you um well if somebody asked me uh where um where the cinnamon is i would think uh i know that my wife keeps the spices in such and such cabinet cinnamon is a spice therefore it belongs in that cabinet so there's some things i know discursively where i have to reason my way to it but some things i know intuitively like this is my left hand and God knows all things intuitively. There's no intermediate step. He just knows it. And so um, for, um, for me to say that um, somebody is elect, there's no in-between stage to say, well, they're elect because of this. They're elect because first they they freely chose to reject God in some hypothetical world, therefore God elected them. It's God knows everything about them. Um, and and he chooses according to his, his perfect knowledge. So the problem that I have with this, though, is that, and this is what I mentioned in the previous podcast, is that I, I struggle with seeing how God can be personal. And that, to me, is really significant because... The Christian doctrine of the Trinity is that God is three persons in one being. And so the idea of personhood is central to the Christian faith. And this isn't something that I came up with. 
this goes all the way back to like um, you know the the discussions of of the Trinity in uh, especially around the Council of Nicaea, but even before that in the anti anti Nicene fathers. Um, everybody believed that Jesus was God from the very very beginning, as far as my research is concerned, uh, and that Jesus was God, but he was not the Father. There was, they're both God, and then the Holy Spirit is God as well, but they're not the same. So somehow there was, there needed to be some way of explaining how they're both God, but Jesus is not the Father. And the solution that was developed, um, and that stays with us to this day, is that there is one being, but three persons. So, to me, a person is somebody that that lives in time, space, and matter, and that is self-conscious, and that has uh, volitional power. What I mean by volitional power is they have the ability to make decisions. So a computer doesn't have volitional power because it doesn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to do something, unless you've programmed it to do it. Somebody else has made the decisions for it. Whereas a child has volitional power because it wakes up one morning and decides it's going to do something completely random that you weren't expecting. Um, and it seems to me that, that that's essential to personhood, that for God the Father to be a person, he has to have volitional capacity to say, I'm going to do something. And, and this has been my stumbling block with, um, well, with this whole ball of wax but also why i didn't want to go into impassibility and immutability is because i felt as though it would undermine the idea of personhood um but what norman geisler helped me realize is that um god can be personal without being in time in fact this is the only way that god really could be personal without being in time is that all the things that God is, God is perfectly and instantly um, and in this, and fully and perfectly. God does not change, but God does choose. Uh, and it, like that center of the dot where the lines are shooting off of it, God's choice has, has shot off and has, has you know, entered the timeline of history at all these different moments and all these different points, um, God does choose and God does have a personal relationship with us. Um, and we experience that relationship in time. And to us, it feels as though uh, somebody else in time is having a relationship with us. And I asked Norman, I asked Dr. Geiser at one point, is this how we're supposed to relate to God? Is through anthropomorphism? And without hesitation, he said, yes. That's how we relate to God. We pretend that he's a person in time with us because there's no other way that we can do this other than treating God as though he's a person in time with us and that our actions make him sad or our actions make him happy. There's no way that we can really fully wrap our minds around... Well, we can, though. We can really wrap our minds around this. But... Um, it's going to be just use, far more useful for us to imagine God as being inside of time with us. Um, but at the same time, we know in the back of our minds that God does not change and that 
when we say something like um, many many of the psalms say, "Oh God, turn your face towards us," or um, "Turn away your wrath from us," somebody might be praying that, but they ought not really be be thinking about God, you know, being angry towards the person as though somebody is capricious and just in a bad mood and just angry. The reason that God is angry was, you know, in the Old Testament, the reason that God was angry towards the Israelites is because the Israelites had completely turned away from his commandments, had completely turned away from the way that he set forth for them to live. They were sacrificing their children uh, as burnt offerings. They had all sorts of fertility cults where they were, um, you know, using little girls as prostitutes as part of their religion. It was terrible things were happening. And so, yeah, they turned themselves away from God. And so they started feeling the wrath of God on them. And they were praying, God, turn your face away from us, turn your wrath away from us. What they needed to be doing is praying what what David prayed, uh, have mercy on us, O God, according to your loving kindness. Against you, you only, we have sinned. And, you know, turn themselves back towards God and up towards God. Uh, Then I had a a string of questions about Neoplatonism. If you go back and listen to the two podcasts on Plotinus and Neoplatonism, um, you can listen to that. Um, It ended up being fairly unfruitful. Um, But as I was trying to understand impassibility and how God does not change, it made me think about Neoplatonism because Neoplatonism, well, you can listen to the podcast. Um, But I asked like, would we see God, the Father, as being unchanging, but Jesus in time changes with us? And he's like, well, you know, Jesus, his incarnation had a divine nature and a human nature, but God, Jesus, um, you know, has returned to the to the Father's side in heaven, and so um, he is unchanging. And in, and in his divine nature, he was never changing. Uh, he only took on a uh, human form uh, for his incarnation. So, actually, there's more questions I could ask about that. Uh, that might be something to look into is how um, in heaven it does seem as though Jesus still has his physical body. Um, so that would be interesting to, to suss out exactly how that works. Uh, but in his eternal nature or in his divine nature he has not changed he does not change he cannot change and um and it's helpful to it's not a good direction to go to think about god being one way in his nature and jesus being another way in his nature uh this has been tried by by various christians in in church history uh and this leads to jesus being a separate sort of a god or a demigod or um, some sort of an angel or something, and even today, uh, the cults and the um, the sects that break off from Christianity always start in this direction by calling Jesus something other than God. If you look at Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or uh, some of the weirder cults, um, they all make this mistake of calling Jesus not God. And so this is not a direction we want to go, and certainly not a direction that Norman Geisler was interested in going. He just said, well, in his incarnation, he was changing. He was part of time, but in his divine nature, he was 
unchanging and fully God, which is very historical and biblical. So, um, oh yeah, last last question I had for Dr. Geisler is, is God self-conscious? And um, because this to me was the two parts of, and he agreed with me, by the way, I said to me, a, you know, God is three persons in one being, and a person is somebody that is self-conscious and has volitional power. And he said, yeah. I was like, oh, huh. I wasn't expecting you to say yes <laughs> to that. Um, but yeah, that's what he agreed with. So um, we talked about volitional power, that God God can have volitional power. He can decide to do things. And, and you can rationally say, this happened because God decided to do it. I mean, created the world and, and sent his son to save us from our sins. Those things happened because God decided that they would happen. Um, is he self-conscious? Yes, but not in the same way that we are. And he clarified that um, that whenever we speak about God, it's always an analogy. So um, you could say, are, are um, ducks the same as people? Well, they're similar to people. There's male ducks, female ducks, um, but it's just an analogy. Uh, ducks are different than people. You know, they eat food. They um, they breathe air. So they're similar to people, but they're not the same. They're, there's analogies. Uh, it's similar, uh, but it's not the same. And whenever we talk about God, God is God. He's different. He's in a category all his own. So we can do our best to um, to explain God based on things that we know. But there are always going to be analogies that will always fall short. And so we shouldn't be surprised that God is not as we are in all things. And one way that he is not like we are is in self-consciousness because um, I am conscious of myself in two distinct ways. I'm conscious of... I'm conscious of the basic facts about myself, my age, my height, my gender. Um, and I'm also conscious of... Um, myself as a person traveling through space time and matter and at this moment staring into a microphone and doing a podcast so i know general facts about josiah and i also know what josiah is doing at this very moment and so you also are a person in time space and matter who um about whom I could know things. I could know perhaps your age, gender, race, location, ethnicity. And also you have a, um, a uh, you are self-conscious. You're conscious of yourself and I'm conscious of you as somebody who is conscious of themselves. Uh, there's a certain, the certain connection that you have when you look into somebody's eyes and you know that they're looking back at you. Um, you know that there's somebody in there that you can talk to. And if I said something to my wife like, I love you, what I mean is I, the person who's in here, not just the generic facts about Josiah that will be written someday on a tombstone, born this day, died this day, not just that Josiah, but me, 
the person who is right here, existing in time, space, and matter, and conscious of myself, this me, has feelings about you. They're not the same feelings that this person has had for all of his lifetime. But right at this moment, I have feelings for you. You as another person who lives in time, space, matter, who uh, is conscious of, the, of yourself. And I have feelings of love towards, yourself, towards you and Jessica, if you're listening to this, which you won't. Um, so I love my wife. Um, can we say the same of God? Yes and no. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. The you that, you, that God loves is not just the you at this slice of time in the present. It's you from the time that you were born and before to the time that you die and after. It's all of you. But it's also you at this slice of time. God cares about you. God loves you. God Is God able to say, I love you? Not in the same way that we do. Um, because there is no point of self-consciousness within God as a being moving between moving along through time, space, and matter. God does not move along through time, space, and matter. And so there is there is no point of the present in which God can, can think of himself self-consciously and know that at this time in time, space, and matter, I have feelings and I love you. But what he can say is that God is love and his love is towards you as you are oriented towards him through Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, God loves you. And... Um, and it is possible to say that God loves us. So that's um, my revelation from today. Uh, it's fairly huge. I haven't quite figured out all the implications of it, but I certainly covered a lot of ground today with uh, Dr. Geiser. And um, I'll keep you posted. Um, it's kind of interesting as I think back over those podcasts that span um, about 12 years uh, that I've been well, no, I mean 20 years. Been working on this. So this is the next milestone along the journey. And uh, we'll see where this leads. And uh, I hope that you are blessed by, by this podcast. And um, I hope it's beneficial to you. So God bless you and bye.